meanwhile.
welcome to the weekly review with Roman. Today it's Friday, August 21st, 2020. Thanks so much for tuning in. We're broadcasting live from Mutiny Radio. We're in the Mission District. We're in San Francisco. We're on unceded Ramatush Ohlone territory. And for folks who are interested in learning more, you can go to ramatush.com, and that's R-A-M-A-Y-T-U-S-H.com. And also I want to encourage folks to pay the Sagorate Land Trust, and that's at S-O-G-O-R-E-A-T-E-Landatrust.org, and that's particularly folks in the East Bay, although anyone can donate. And also, I uh, want folks to check out the Indigenous Mutual Aid website, and that's at indigenousmutualaid.org, and that provides a lot of information, ways to support, as well as resources, uh, medicine, and also ways to connect to folks in your area. Start off the show with some music as I mostly do and i know the first song's not so much of an upper however kind of feeling it just kind of feeling it lately that was die for the government by anti-flag followed by huddle formation by the go team currently in california there are quite a few wildfires still burning the air quality is very unhealthy and covid 19 is still i'm gonna say on the loose it's still out there so today when i went out i Wore one mask and brought another, because that's, that's where we are. And fires are often fought by folks who have been imprisoned, and they're paid, like, cents on the, cents on the dollar on the hour. And However, there's been such a, a COVID outbreak within prisons and jails that there are short of folks fighting fires, and that's just capitalism right there. It's slave labor. It's burning the climate, and people in positions of power not caring. And maybe, maybe that's the point, is that it doesn't, they don't think it affects them. However, this is where we are. And also just a reminder for all the climate catastrophes that are happening right now, the U.S. military is the largest polluter in the world. So along with defunding the police, that needs to be extended to defunding the military, absolutely. And I read the headline of a story. I didn't read all of it yet today, but in San Francisco, it looks like school bus drivers are going to be laid off without pay and without health benefits. And it would be very, I feel, easy, an easy solution to take some of that funding from police, many of whom don't even live in San Francisco and many of whom cause harm. Now, that those funds could go directly to bus drivers, I personally am a fan of bus drivers. They have helped me get from point A to point B as someone who doesn't like to drive. I don't have a car. I really have dependent on public transit in my life, and I am very grateful for the folks who drive trains and buses. Unlike cops, bus drivers have never assaulted me or arrested my friends. Just a thing. I believe that they, uh, bus drivers are the ones who deserve to be well compensated their time all right we've got quite a show today i say that as if i'm a talk show host and some large name celebrity is gonna come on and talk about uh vapid things but that's the opposite well the opposite in that we talk about a lot of good things that are happening in the world and hopefully meaningful and qualitative actions and things that people can do deep conversations 
And thankfully, I was able to record this earlier on in the week with uh, my guest this week, Billy James. And Billy also invited me to be on their podcast, Queer Circle, which we talk about a little bit in our conversation. So I really want to encourage folks to to listen in and also to check out Billy's podcast afterwards. It's I felt really honored to be asked to speak quite often on this show. I am sharing the voices of others, and sometimes it's nice to be able to speak um, from my own perspective and share my own story. So I really appreciated that. So thanks, Billy. And I'll be playing the interview momentarily. I'll also be sharing some news items and also action items because, yeah, things seem pretty fucked up. And there are some positive things that are happening and folks have been organizing. And I'll share a few things that folks can do to participate in various ways. And I'm a firm believer that everyone can show up regardless of where you are and, and what you're doing. And wanting to, it's easy to talk about what's not working and what's wrong and what's terrifying. Uh, well, it's easy for me because I'm like, oh, I'm a very emotional person and uh, it's just, I'm angry a lot of the time and frustrated and scared and sad, like so sad, just given the fact that so little has changed and in a lot of ways has gotten worse. And I finally read uh, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, which I would encourage folks to read. They also have a, there's an audiobook available on Libby and oh, just the, oh, it's just so, I, I don't even have the words for it, but this idea that people in positions of power have intentionally caused harm to communities and continue to do so. And oh, it's, oh, I mean, that's, I know this is a, an audio medium, and one wants to, com I want to communicate with words, but so often I'm like, ah, I just want to scream or groan or sigh, because I don't even have the words anymore. Ugh. So, but fear not. I mean, I don't want to tell anyone to fear not, because feel, feel however you want to feel. I think if we actually lived in a world where folks were encouraged to feel how they feel and talk about our emotions, things would be a lot better. However, uh, this is a will be, a, I think, a really positive conversation and a really hopeful and helpful conversation. So without further ado, here's my uh, talk with Billy James from the Queer Circle podcast. And I'm going to stop the music in the background and play it now. I'm here with Billy James. Billy, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Sure. Um, I thought we could maybe start off by talking about the podcast that you host. Yeah, so um, I host a podcast called Queer Circle Podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole premise of it is that we have, it's a, a circle of healers that we all kind of come together and one person steps up to the mic to share their journey and also what they would tell their younger self. Mm. Very cool. What, what inspired you to put this together? I, you know, a lot of reasons. I think one of the reasons is that in our media and um, literature, you know, there's only some people who get book deals. There's only some people whose voices are heard. Yeah. And 
there's usually some reason for that. Um, and so I was interested more in like the people that we don't really hear from. Um, and specifically people who have done like a level of healing um, that could help other people who are also in, uh, you know, in the search for wholeness and what does that look like? And um, so that's really the inspiration for it. And I, I know so many people who are healers mm -hmm. and so many different types of modalities and backgrounds. And so I said, you know what? I, I want to share those voices. I want to hear what they have to say uh, and have that be accessible to queer youth and, yeah. and uh, all of us in the community, really. Definitely. And I also appreciate that on the website you have the uh, transcripts of the interviews as well. The transcripts has been a really important part um, of the work in that, you know, a lot of times in um, activist spaces, the, our disabled siblings get left behind. And so uh, it's been really important that we've included transcripts for the hard of hearing and for the deaf. Uh, and when we are not able to because of the financial cost of it, Mm -hmm. uh, we've been uploading it to YouTube to provide auto captioning until oh. we are able to do it. That's a really great idea. I hadn't thought about that. I've been I wanting actually to do got, that as well. For this. Yeah, I got that from like a friend. It was a workaround. Um, she's in the deaf community, and I reached out to her like, "Hey, do you have any ideas about how to make this more accessible?" And that was her her uh, help. So I'm so grateful to Karina for that. Oh yeah, thank you for thank you for sharing that. That's very helpful. What have I'm sure you since you've spoken with so many people, I'm curious as to if anything in particular um, sticks out in your mind as to what you've learned. And I guess that could be like a pretty broad question. But anything, any pieces of information that that come to mind that you wanted to to share with the listeners? I've learned that you know the healing journey that each person is on. Like queer experiences are so vast. Mm -hmm. um, but there are these threads that go through every one of these stories. And, uh, you know, queer experiences, a lot of it is based in the fact that at a very young age, either we experienced erasure mm -hmm. um, or, you know, through homophobia or transphobia, um, or we had to somehow fight to be ourselves and be present in the world and or both. And so those threads, I feel like have really become so um, clear, but how each person has resolved the mm. specifics around their birth and their own personal mythologies have been so um, just mind blowing. I, I'm just so amazed at how complex and resilient um, and powerful this queer community that we're a part of is and and how beautiful it is to be a part of something like that. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned that, you know, you happen to know a lot of healers. I was curious as to how you also go about finding folks to speak with. Well, you are actually one of my guests. Um, and it's many of the actually so far, all of these people are people I know personally. Mm -hmm. 
So um, there's going to come a time where I'm going to be having guests that I'm meeting through my guests to help expand the community outwards even more and become in touch with people that are, um, you know, connected through these healers that I know. Um, But these healers are people that I have a lot of respect for, that I have um, spent time observing their style of healing and what they do. And, um, but even I didn't really know their background story so well. So this has also been a lot of learning for me about learning new things about these healers that I had no idea. Yeah, definitely. It's, I mean, I appreciate the way that we can talk with one another and I appreciate the questions that you ask as well. Cause it really, um, as a, person who was on just gave me an opportunity just to like think um deeply you know about my history and quite often we don't really have a chance to answer these types of questions about ourselves and and share our truths so i really appreciated how you asked and what you asked i ask it because part of my whole work with my healing process had largely been about uh, using Joseph Campbell's structure of the monomyth or the hero's journey to build out a structure for me to contextualize my own journey and understand where my traumas were, where, how, how do these threads kind of move through a narrative and building my relationship with that so that I could like more effectively chart my way forward through my life and have like a conscious engagement with that. Um, versus having these old scripts and stories that I never really went back and revisited that I just kind of believed were truths. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I change and as I grow, my history changes. Yes. So that was really cool to, you know, even during this project for myself, I yeah. asked those questions and noticed like, oh, wow, like a few years later, even how I relate to my history has changed. Yes. So very much this, you know, podcast is like a snapshot in time of an ever evolving process. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And now, yeah, the more information that we see and also just how normalizing and validating it feels to hear other people's stories. So, yeah. Yeah, that's the most beautiful part for me is is I read this quote recently that uh, it was by the, this person named I think Kim McManus and and what the quote was was that um your heartbreak might give somebody else hope mm-hmm. and so tell mm-hmm. your, your story and just the power of storytelling as a medicine to be able to uh, provide even if it's not the same exact experience for somebody it helps provide a way out yes that I know when I was a kid, I didn't have any real w- vision of a way out. Mm-hmm. Having the idea that possibility exists, mm-hmm. whatever that might look like, and that other p- people have found possibilities in in times and in spaces where there may not have been any, can be like a a, a light at the end of the, the tunnel. And and that I feel like is the power of storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was also hoping we could talk a little bit about your work um, with herbs and acupuncture and other. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm an acupuncturist and an herbalist. Um, I feel very passionately about both. During the pandemic, it's almost impossible to do um, acupuncture, um, except with a lot of um, protocols for protection, PPE and all of that. Um, and so herbal medicine is is something that I've been kind of talking about more. Um, it's in my in my experience of herbal medicine, although it has become kind of this supplement uh, industrial complex, herbs are something that are the people's medicine. It belongs to the people. And I feel very passionately about people having a basic understanding of how herbs work and being able to use them in their families and in their communities. Yes. Yeah, and I feel that there's so much information that's out there that one has to kind of find just due to like Western medicine kind of negating a lot of natural remedies that are available to people. Absolutely. And I, I think that, you know, understanding that herbal medicine is our birthright, mm -hmm. that it's not something that just belongs to people who are, you know, quote unquote herbalists, that you can become one yourself through study mm. um, and engagement with the natural world. That is something that, you know, I, I wish I had known when I was younger because there's a whole world around us that is calling out for our healing. Mm. So I I'd imagine that there are classes that folks can take. Are there any other ways that you'd recommend for folks who are interested in getting started and learning more about herbs? Yeah, I would say like the the biggest thing that you can do is pick one plant that you're okay. really interested in. Mm -hmm and find it in nature, somewhere that grows naturally around you, and observe the plant. I'm sorry, observe the plant, observe how it grows, observe how uh, the location that it's in, and then do a bunch of Googling. Google uh, uh, like herbal, like see what herbalists have to say about it. And then um, you can also Google uh, PubMed, P-U-B-M-E-D, and then the herb's name, and it'll show you studies mm. that talk about how the herb has been used so that you can have like this kind of more official Western uh, understanding of how it's used and then the folk way that it's used. Yeah. And then you can start to build a relationship with the plant that way. Oh, cool. Very cool. Yeah, I feel like there's so many... There's so much out there to learn, so nice there to know is. more resources about that. <laughs> Maybe as an oversimplification on my part, but just it's it's so helpful just to know. And I remember I contacted you. Maybe it's hard to keep track of time these days, but maybe it was a couple years ago, and you sent a, a resource that just had a lot of different herbs that uh, I could try, and it was so helpful to have that. So thank you for for sharing yeah. that information. Oh, of course. I, I think speaking to what you said, like, it is overwhelming. There is so much to learn about herbal medicine. I think it's infinite. And, you know, having somewhere to start is the best place. And yeah. so, you know, that I feel definitely with that, like, um, I appreciate you saying that because that's 100% on point. Yeah. 
Um, is there anything else you'd like to share in regards to herbs, herbal medicine? Yeah, I, I do. I think if anybody's looking for a plant that they want to start with to become mm-hmm. interested in herbal medicine, look into lemon balm. Yes, yeah. Yeah, lemon balm is great for anxiety, for headaches, for insomnia. You can grow it yourself, and you can make your own plant medicine from it. Um, as you develop a relationship with it, it's in the mint family. Mm-hmm. It You can begin to use it in your community for healing as well. Mm. Uh, there, You can also Google the counterindications. It's if people are taking medicine for hypothyroidism, you wouldn't want to um, have it in large doses, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But yeah, lemon balm is a wonderful plant. You can grow it in a city, in a window. You can grow okay. it outside. That's yeah, it's, yeah. yeah. I mean, I've been really getting into growing plants. However, since I'm limited to indoor space, it's a, it's been, and also have cats. It's also been mm-hmm. difficult to find what I can grow and what won't be toxic to the cats so lemon balm sounds like a great thing to start with yeah cats and dogs can eat it it's great for the digestion oh nice even better yeah that's that's another thing is that sometimes the cats eat the plants that might not be they're not toxic however you still don't want them to just you know have a have lunch at your plants and then like where did it go anyway (laughs) good times so thanks yeah thanks for thanks for sharing that information Huh. Um, yeah, I thought perhaps we can move along to, I, I know I'm just kind of jumping al- along here, but we can also go back to anything, um, shows very spur of the moment fluid. Um, I thought we could also talk about raising kids, which I don't really have experience with, however you do. And I've known you since before, and I'm really, like, it's, I'm grateful to know folks who are raising kids in a very affirming way. Let's put it that way. Thank you. I I think it's definitely, you know, part of raising kids has been also related to my own journey and and having to resolve my own uh like traumas and relationship to um childhood as a mm-hmm. queer person. Mm-hmm. Um and so a big part of kind of healing and addressing that has been to raise our our children uh, gender creative or, or gender neutral parenting style, um, which is essentially that we are um, we use they them pronouns for our kids. Um, we are we personally as parents are in the process of working to deconstruct our ideas and gender biases. Mm-hmm. Um, and how that works is that it's not that I think a lot of people think, oh, you're trying to raise your kid without a gender. No, it's it's that we're not trying to impose mm-hmm. um, these limiting beliefs. And we're actually allowing the child to have an authentic sense of self and be able to express who they are yes. um, without the kind of limiting factors based on biology. Um, yeah that because we assign you as something at birth therefore this is the capitalist uh you know pathway that you can kind of go down and these are all the things you can buy and the things you cannot do and these are the things you can feel and you cannot feel um and enact violence on our children at a young age so this is kind of our work that we're doing um 
and uh, it's it has its challenges mostly with other people who mm-hmm. don't understand but at the same time people who have not personally deconstructed gender um in their own personal relationship to it often have a hard time yes. with this yeah that's a that's a good point that it is often dealing with other people's expectations and perceptions yeah and i mean from my own self my own experience that's how i felt and i'd imagine also with raising kids it is that idea of having to push back against what other people may or may not believe and how they project that onto the onto the kids yeah and i think a lot of it is really um confronting transphobia at mm-hmm. a uh, as it's being projected onto kids because I, I think I'm non-binary, my partner is cis, and so I think when people see us, you know, I'm male-assumed, people are just like, oh, well, why would these two gay guys have so much investment in this whole gender thing? You guys must be good liberals, and that's why you're doing it. Mm. Um, and just this idea that we are trying to just be progressive for the idea of being progressive versus that we have trans people in our lives who we love, who Mm -hmm. are, um, that the system is violent towards. And that this is actually, we're doing this from a place of love and also a place of protection for not only trans people, people who are adults now but also for their healing and also our kids because if our kid if our kids end up being trans or well that's kind of challenging because they're anti-gender which means they could not be trans but if they are somehow perceived or assumed as being trans then there would be this um then what do we do then Mm -hmm. we have to then at that point we're gonna go and try to you know, deconstruct transphobia. It's like, why wait that long? Right, right. Why, why not just deal with it right now? And versus the whole, the whole. In my opinion, it's this supremacist to say, oh, we're just gonna assume that you're cis until mm-hmm. you tell us otherwise, mm-hmm. and then we'll deal with that problem. And right, right. To me, that's that's why would I ever want to assume that my kid was cis? Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. would I ever want to assume my kid was heterosexual? Why would I do that to my child? I mean, yeah. kind of joking, but I'm also serious. Like, what's so wrong with being queer? So that's kind of where I come from. And I, because I have little shame about it, and I feel also very passionately about it, um, I think my children have a very clear sense of self especially my eldest is very clear about who they are yeah um versus the assumption that the kid would not have a clear sense of self because you are not giving them access to gender how are they going to know who they are without a box to put in (laughs) yeah but imagine a world where an authentic sense of self is not coupled with gender until it is mm-hmm. and and that's the thing is we're not post-gender by any means we're absolutely for every gender that anyone feels that they are that's mm-hmm. valid and important and we want to acknowledge that so that starts with our children yeah that's so 
refreshing and affirming to hear. And also the fact that I've worked a little bit with, with queer and trans youth and just kids know from such a young age who they are. And I think part of it's also just like adults refuse to, in general, like refuse to listen. And it's, <sighs> ideally we could live in a world where every kid had a you know right to, to say who they are and they would be listened to. It doesn't, when I say it out loud, it doesn't seem like it should be that difficult. However, there's so much to push back against in terms of how many, so many of us were raised, even with parents who thought they were doing, you know, what was, what was best. And I am glad to hear that there are more folks like yourself who are raising kids to speak up for themselves and share who they are with the world. I appreciate that. I think that like, I, I'm really grateful that I have the privilege to be able to do this because there are there are ways in which I'm not worrying so much about survival or violence that mm -hmm. I'm able to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and that makes me feel like that's my love letter to the trans community is my ability to be able to use my privilege in this way and deal with the transphobia and be able to have the uh, the resources and the privilege to be able to help people deconstruct it and not have to deal with the violence so directly myself. Mm. Because there's a lot of unconscious unconscious violence towards uh, um, towards us and the children. Um, and some of that is just gendering our child. Mm -hmm. Even though you don't know that you don't know what their gender is, let alone yeah. their sex, but you're gonna try to weaponize that. Mm -hmm. So it's it's very interesting. Um, but it's also been very like educational for me too about how deeply um, seated uh, this whole system is. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Have you met other uh, parents who are also raising their kids in a gender expansive way? Yeah, there's, um, I know uh, one personally in New York, um, and then there's a whole Facebook community as well. Mm -hmm. So if anybody is interested in raising their kids from um, um, birth uh, in a gender creative way, I think there's actually a, a group name on Facebook when I was on there, I was part of it, that is named that. Oh, nice. Um, and there's also another group that's for queer and non-binary trans parents mm. um, raising gender-neutral children. Oh, nice. Yeah, so there there is a bit of a community. It's it's a bit small, but yeah. it is growing. Yeah, yeah. I volunteered a bit at the Gender Spectrum Conference um, in the past, and working with like uh, trans youth or youth with trans siblings, and it's been really cool just to see how many parents are on board with their kids and it's and also just working with like kids who know like under the age of 10 and I'm like there's this part of me that was just healing for me as a trans adult to be like oh wow here's this like this kid who like knows at this young age and can verbalize it and their parents are not only accepting enough to let this kid be who they are but they're also able to like come to this conference and learn more about how to be more like validating and more compassionate for their kid and also have to have their kid connect with other people who are other kids who are having the same experience. 
That is so beautiful. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It really makes me hopeful for, I mean, just the youth, how amazing they are, um, and just how important it is that we follow them and their lead, mm-hmm. you know, because they're the ones who are building the future, and they're just so cool. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does give me hope. And I've, I see statistics every now and then where I forget the percentage, but it's a, a large, I feel, percentage of kids of a certain age are now identifying as either non-binary or trans. And just, I think also having the language and having the visibility out there um, is such a big deal. And also, the internet as double-sided as it can be being able to provide information and as you mentioned ways for folks to connect with other people who are also experiencing the same thing who might not be in the same city or town and so folks don't feel quite so alone yeah i think that that is the biggest thing also thread that i'm learning through this queer circle podcast is how much isolation we had uh as children and one of the things that's changed is that internet and access is so different now um, that, and cell phones that now, you know, it's just like kids can like listen to a podcast or Google something or go on TikTok or, you know, so different than when I was a kid. Um, so that really, I think is this beautiful opportunity to build community and find people who have similar experience. Yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I do want to ask how folks can find the podcast, so if you wanted to share the webpage. Yeah, um, you can go to queercirclepodcast.com. You can also find it on Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. It's kind of, I think, in most places. You just search for it. You can also find a link through the website. And also on our website, we're starting a directory of queer healers. So there, yeah, if you go on there, you'll find um, bios and from we're going to be adding different states in there. Um, So you can find people who are queer and connect with them. That's so helpful, too, just to have professionals who get it because it can also just the idea of how pathologized one can be by either therapists and I know several folks who had to go through conversion therapy when they were younger and to have the exact opposite of that where someone actually lets you be who you are instead of pushing back against that is so useful so yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely that's kind of my hope is that we can in the in the healing journey we can support each other as a community and build those those bonds mm-hmm. um, because we really we need each other uh, in order to be whole. Definitely. And also the fact that there are so many different types of healers, too, and every person might respond to a different modality or multiple mod- modalities. And it's cool to have just to understand that there's so much to, to choose from. Yeah. And and what makes somebody a healer is you know, in my opinion, it's somebody who heals. Because if you have a cut on your skin and your body heals it, your body is a natural healer. You have the ability 
to become a healer. Um, it's not something that's not accessible to you. It's a natural process. Mm. And so how you choose to become engaged in that natural process, what tools you use is completely independent to who you are and how you choose to, you know, use it. Yeah. I thank you for sharing that. That totally opened my mind in terms of the idea of how we're told to like label ourselves in certain ways. And it's the idea of healing as something that's can be ubiquitous and that everyone can partake in and everyone already knows how to do. It's just a matter of, I guess, activating those tools. Yes. Oh, oh to heal oneself and others. Yeah. And, and just the myriad of ways that can be done with astrology and tarot and um, holding space, mm. you know, and, and working in, in mother earth and, and with the soil and with plants and, art there's just so many ways to heal yourself and and when you have found the way of healing yourself that works then you can offer that to the community and that's really what a healer does is they heal themselves and then they use what they've learned to help others yeah Aww. Thanks for sharing that. Thanks so much for having me on today. Yeah, I'm so absolutely. grateful to be in this space with you. Yeah. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to share? Any any topic at all or um anything else on your mind? Yeah. Really open. You know, I wanna just share a resource if people are interested in um you know, being able to kind of be able to navigate some of the anxiety happening right now with mm -hmm. things going on in the world. There's a really uh, great set of UCLA meditations um, mm -hmm. that I give people because sometimes, you know, the Calm app on the iPhone is not accessible to everybody. Mm -hmm. And if you're, if you have access to the internet, you can find these. The web address is tinyurl.com forward slash anxiety meditations okay. and that'll take you to the ucla website where there are several guided meditations some one of which is called dealing with difficulties mm. and that actually takes more of a somatic kind of approach to finding a good feeling inside of your body and being able to bring your attention there mm. And that's helpful for regulating your nervous system, which is really good for making sure that you are able to have good immunity, that you're able to sleep and kind of be able to regulate your emotions and deal with anxiety and all of that. So that's that's really kind of what what my uh, my offering would be today is is to find a way of getting in contact with your inner world and finding a bit of peace there in the midst of the storm. Mm -hmm. Aw, thank you. That's a really good resource. I will check that out for sure. Awesome. Aw. Well, thanks so much for getting in touch and for sharing your words and your thoughts. And yeah, I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you so much, Roman. All right. So that was an interview with Billy James from the Queer Circle podcast. And you can find Oof. Excuse me. Uh you can find that podcast if you
making sure everything's all set up here. They're also um, they're available to listen on YouTube, and there's also a website that folks can check out. And that would, of course, be QueerCirclePodcast.com. Anyway, we're gonna I'm gonna get to a few news items in a bit, but first we're gonna take a music break. And also, uh, this marks uh, one year from last August when there were 30 days of protests outside the ICE building here in San Francisco, and I can't believe it's been a year already. Wow. So uh, Peg Hunter, who is one of the uh, – who's a photographer who was there every day, took photos, and there's also video, and there's a compilation video that's out there of different speakers and musicians and folks there. And every day of the week, there's a different group or organization that led the, the protest, and it was really – quite remarkable so at the end of the show today i will be playing that and again the there was a video it's on vimeo and i'll be playing the, the audio portion at least so folks can hear the speakers and musicians as well and also i will be getting into the habit of uploading these episodes onto youtube as billy had mentioned so we can get some translation up for folks and yeah I think that'll be it for now. Here's some music, and we'll be back uh, in a bit. So please do stay tuned.
Hello and welcome back to the weekly review. Played some music there. The first song was Past and Present by Vice, and this past was an instrumental version of San Jacinto by Peter Gabriel off the New Blood Special Edition album. I've got a few um, action items, or an action item that's happening right now. So if you're able, get down to City Hall, San Francisco, uh, from noon which is already passed till 3 p.m. There is a rally slash SFPD stash fund city services, not the cops. Join slash the SFPD stash coalition on Friday, 821, which is today from 12 to 3 p.m. as we march to demand that the board of supervisors and the mayor's office slash the SFPD's budget by at least 50% and reallocate the money to housing, education, healthcare jobs, and other vital services that benefit the community. Folks are meeting at SF City Hall and then marching to the Hall of Justice, which is at 850 Bryant Street. If uh, They'll have speakers both at Civic Center and the Hall of Justice, and they'll also have an open mic so that the community can make their voices heard. They invite everyone who, or we invite everyone. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Uh, we invite everyone who is interested in making sure San Francisco's budget serves the people. Please join us as we march in solidarity for Black Lives Matter, Abolish ICE, Justice for Breonna Taylor, Black Trans Lives, and the Portland protests, social distancing and masks required, and their need of folks to support with water, security, first aid, social media visibility. You can also donate to slash the SFPD stash uh, on Venmo at slash SFPD stash or cash app dollar sign slash SFPD stash. We urge everyone who attends the action to take photos and post them with the following hashtags. Hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag Black Trans Lives Matter, Hashtag defund the police. Hashtag disarm the police. Hashtag defund to refund. Hashtag slash SFPD stash. And you can find and follow them on social media. Facebook, sfb.com forward slash slash SFPD stash. On Instagram and Twitter, at slash SFPD stash. So yes, that is happening now. And also, if you can't make it, please do support from um afar or from your computer um and yes uh also i believe uh, i'll try to go in well there's no real order because everything's happening at the same time there's also so much happening and i'm also only aware of so much however i'll try to create a segue as i go here which is the putting things together as we go first up or not first up because it's all there's not one thing that's more important than the other it's just this is all happening at the same time right so on Indie Bay, which is a great independent organization to support, IndieBay.org, on Facebook banning anarchist and anti-fascist pages and the digital censorship to come, uh, Crime Think, which is an ex-workers collective, posted this uh, or shared this on Wednesday, August 19th. Today, Facebook deleted a variety of far-right militia and QAnon accounts along with anarchist and anti-fascist pages, including It's Going Down and Crime Think. The following is a joint statement in response. And... Facebook has taken down multiple Facebook pages they believe to be connected with Crime Think and It's Going Down, among other anarchist and anti-fascist publishing projects, officially on the pretext that they, quote-unquote, support violence. This has nothing to do with stopping violence and everything to do with cracking down on social movements and everyday people getting organized in their communities. Facebook has always promoted itself as seeking to assist people in creating networks to meet their needs. Facebook representatives proudly touted their role in the Egyptian uprising. Their decision to ban social movement organizations shows that they are eager to play a role in ensuring that only forms of activisms, activism that can emerge are the ones that are beneficial to the current authorities. 
for months. Fuckface Trump, that's my words, not theirs. Fuckface Trump has demanded this crackdown in a series of social media posts explicitly blaming anarchists and anti-fascists for the country-wide wave of protests precipitated by the persistent by persistent police violence in the United States. The definition of violence is not neutral. The way Facebook defines violence, it is legitimate for police to kill a thousand people per year while evicting, kidnapping, and imprisoning millions. It is legitimate to drop bombs on civilians so long as the aggressor represents an, offic uh, an official government. But it is violence, quote-unquote, to prevent a white supremacist from assaulting a crowd or return a tear gas canister to the police who shot it. Suppressing the voices of those who seek to protect their communities from institutional and white supremacist violence is an intentional decision to normalize violence as long as the ones employing it hold institutional power. Lumping anarchists and anti-fascists together with far-right militias who explicitly support the state and especially the current administration is a strategic move to muddy the issue. This is the same operation that William Barr performed in creating a Department of Justice task force focused on anti-government extremists of all types. In the case of the Department of Justice, it enables them to point to far-right and militia attacks in order to demand resources with which to crack down on those who are on the front lines of defending communities against such attacks. They are attempting to do the same thing to Black Lives Matter activists, associating them together with neo-Nazis and white nationalists as quote-unquote racially motivated extremists. After a fascist murdered Heather Heyer during the Unite the Right mobilization in Charlottesville, tremendous grassroots pressure arose to remove fascists and white supremacists from social media platforms. This time, the push is coming from the very top of the hierarchy, at a time when protest movements have been essential to creating a nationwide dialogue about state violence and oppression. This is a counterattack from those in power against websites that publish perspectives from those who mobilized against the fascists in Charlottesville. It is not a coincidence that it occurs after Trump mobilized federal forces in Portland, Oregon, precipitating weeks of street conflict, which are still happening, by the way, uh, while far-right groups continue to organize on Facebook and millions spread dangerous misinformation about COVID-19, Facebook is actively cooperating with the Trump administration to suppress dissent. Make no mistake, if this goes unchallenged, it will not stop here. The more it becomes normalized for governments to be able to determine which voices social media platforms permit to be heard, the further such censorship will penetrate into every sector of society and the more it will shape what it is possible what it more it will shape what is possible to think what it's possible to imagine if you are concerned about this please use all the means at your disposal to get this message out far and wide facebook should not get to determine for you what constitutes reasonable speech to get or excuse me responsible speech although also i would say reasonable speech together in solidarity we can create a better world in which no one of good conscience need fear that fascist governments or billion-dollar corporations can suppress their freedom of expression. And again, you can find this. This has been shared at IndieBay.org on Wednesday, August 19th from Crime Think, the Ex-Workers Collective. Whew. All right. I'm going to take a deep, take a deep <laughs> sigh there. Okay a few other stories that we have lined up here and i guess i'll just go down the list here i forget the segues i'll just read the headline though this is from reader supported news which has a lot of information readersupportednews.org from august 18th bernie sanders and the squad are being marginalized at the dnc 
they say. Bernie Sanders, will, this is from earlier this week. Uh, Sanders spoke on opening night, but the virtual DNC seems crafted to tune out progressive voices. And, of course, they had more Republicans speak than progressive voices. I'm going to get too angry if I start talking about, about that. Although, how can I be disappointed in the DNC when uh, – why should I – why? Why, sh- why should one have faith in them in the first place? Next up uh, – this is um, – I found this on Twitter, and this is from the Detroit IWW. Uh, Detroit teachers have voted to strike over reopening. And you can find the link if you go to Twitter and the uh, profile is at Detroit IWW, which is the official Twitter account for the Detroit General Membership Branch of the IWW. They have shared information about that as well as additional context. Detroit teachers plan strike over coronavirus safety concerns. They have more information there. That was posted on August 19th. Also, speaking of Michigan, uh, I'm going to scroll down here. Oh, goodness. Taking a deep sigh. There's a lot. There's a lot. From uh, AJ, or Al Jazeera Plus, at AJ Plus, breaking Michigan reached a settlement to pay $600 million to victims of Flint water crisis. 25,000 plus people were sickened by lead poisoning after the city changed its water supply to cut costs including 5, 000, over 5,000 young children. Most money will go to younger plaintiffs. And while I'm glad folks are, are getting money, they should also be getting clean water. And also, it's that thing where that doesn't – it's – I guess I'm so frustrated and flustered, that idea that you know eventually folks can get money, but money doesn't bring back lives. <sighs> or I should say, and money doesn't bring back lives. So if you'd like to read more, this happened – uh, was posted at least on April, April, August 20th. Wow, I'm already, I'm going to go through these and then take another break. August 20th, AJ Plus. You can follow them at AJ Plus on Twitter. Next up, Redfish Stream. So also Twitter's begun to label news sources as state-affiliated media, which is really problematic because it's fucked up. Anyway, so Redfish Stream, folks can follow at Redfish Stream. Hundreds of LGBT rights activists in central Krakow protested the far-right homophobic attacks and the government's anti-gay policies. Protesters also called for the release of jailed LGBT rights activist Margot Shutovich. Let me make this a little bit larger so I am through. Shutovich. There we go. Shutovich. So that's happening. And also... Uh, so Uber and Lyft are just uh, companies. Uh, that's that's it. I'm just gonna sigh for two hours. That's what I'm gonna do next week. I'll bring in some music and I'll just gonna sigh like, uh, uh. and perhaps listeners can you can I'll provide like a a uh, matching test. You know those tests where you can match like the in the column A, it's like or what word means what. And there's the numbers like one through five and then A through E. And you gotta match them up and I'll just groan or sigh or just have complete silence because I don't have anything else I can say and folks can match it up with the stories. Like, is this about corporate greed? Is this about war? Is this about far right-wing folks just trying to uh, destroy the post office? You can you can match up which, which size with which catastrophe. Okay. 
So drivers appreciate the strong support from Jackie Fielder, who's running against Scott Wiener. Got another story about that coming up. Uh, candidate for state senate, who, unlike her opponent Scott Wiener, won't take political donations from Lyft. Jackie donate. Jackie endorses a hashtag no on Prop 22. And there's a video here that came out on August 20th. You can find it by following at Gig Workers Rise on Twitter. And there was a, a protest yesterday outside the um, Uber headquarters. And I'm going to, let's see, share this here. Turn up the volume. Also, I'm going to unmute it. And I'm also going to perhaps uh, pause the music so we can hear everything. It's very DIY here. And that's the way I like it. All right, here's Jackie Fielder. Hey everyone, we're out here at, at Uber headquarters because they are threatening to follow Lyft in canceling their services for the entire state of California. They, they actually don't want to classify their employees correctly as the government and the courts are requiring them to. And we always see tech companies, tech executives play as if they don't care about politics except now we are seeing Lyft throwing a temper tantrum uh, in the middle of a pandemic, threatening hundreds of thousands of jobs for Californians who depend on this to make ends meet. And so many people are at risk of eviction and losing their homes. This is not the time to play political games with people's lives and people's well-being. And so I urge Lyft and Uber to actually come onto the side of Californians if you actually care about the state will continue service. Uh, we need to stand with workers. All right, that was Jackie Fielder. And also, uh, for immediate release uh, from Julian LaRosa, who's the campaign coordinator for Jackie Fielder, this came in today. Wiener consultant behind Fake Tenants Group. Yesterday, August 20th, Jackie Fielder's state senate campaign received an endorsement questionnaire from the so-called SF Renters Alliance, an unknown organization quickly discovered to be the work of opponent Scott Wiener's campaign consultant, Maggie Muir, the principal of Muir Consulting. The website says that the group was founded in 2020 by diverse founding members, but fails to mention a single member by name. Neither the about page nor the contact page contains disclosures or identifying information that would validate the group. In political circles, such as shadowy, such shadowy nondescript groups are known as AstroTurf. The Fielder campaign discerned that Muir was behind the SF Renters Alliance through a Google form attached to the site's sign up button. The bottom of the form contained a disclosure that it was the property of Muir Consulting. Wiener has paid Muir Consulting upwards of $300,000 in the last reporting period alone. Soon after Fielder tweeted about this discovery Thursday night, the button leading to the Google form was redirected to an internal web form scrubbed of references to Muir. Far from an SF renter, Maggie Muir lives in Oakland and appears to own a home worth $1.3 million. There are few renters currently serving in the California legislature. Unlike Wiener, who owns a home in the Castro, Fielder is a renter. If elected, she would bring much-needed representation to Sacramento. Muir's AstroTurf renter group described intentions of fundraising and sending slate mail. The candidate questionnaire sent to Fielder focused on housing just weeks before a proposed debate on housing between Fielder and Wiener. I'm surprised that my opponent, a well-funded incumbent, would need his consultant to create an AstroTurf organization in the last stretch of the campaign to demonstrate at least some support among renters. There is a reason I'm the only candidate endorsed by the well-established and active San Francisco Tenants Union, said Fielder, 
who earlier that day announced her endorsement by the Working Families Party, a growing force in national progressive politics. Fielder continued, I'm running to win this race by championing people, not through underhanded schemes to hoodwink my opponent. I look forward to going toe-to-toe with Scott Wiener in our first debate next month. I can't wait. And if you have questions or interviews or for interviews with Jackie Fielder, you can contact them at Julian LaRosa, and that's J-U-L-I-A-N-L-A-R-O-S-A, at JackieForSenate.com. Okay. So, uh, I believe there's one more thing I was going to get to. Thing I was going to get to. Um, yeah, wow. Uh, there's just so much. There's there's so much. Uh, and I find a lot of information through Twitter. You can also follow me on Twitter at R-O-M-A-N-R-I-M-E-R. I mostly retweet and share articles from other folks. And I'm going to take a... A deep breath here. Okay. Yes. This is from uh, HJ Commons uh, and has been retweeted by the Juno Harm Coalition. From our friends and partners at Juno Harm Coalition, police violence is a public health crisis. Social media campaign happening now. Take a photo of yourself holding a sign with the following messages. Hashtag police violence is a public health crisis. There's a it's a uh, social media campaign. Um, hashtag racism is a lethal pandemic at USF. Actions speak louder. Combat police violence. Police violence is a public health crisis. Hashtag Black liberation. Hashtag police out of healthcare. If comfortable, name your role in healthcare and a one sentence description of why you are personally committed to eliminating police violence. Post your photo on your social media networks. Uh, tag at USF, at Do No Harm Coalition, at Do No Harm UCSF, at White Coats for Black Lives, the number four. So again, you can find this. Uh, it was shared again through HJ Commons, and also you can find it through the Do No Harm Coalition. Okay. I think I thought I said, I was like, oh, that's it. And then, but then there's like, oh, there's, but then there's something else. Where, okay, what, okay, now we're, we have to play. What was I thinking of, and where did I see it? I haven't smoked pot in maybe five years. Wow. Has it been? No, it hasn't been that long. Maybe three years. 17? Okay. No, 16. So it's 17, 18, 19. Oh, wow. Four, three, three and a half years. Uh, my memory, not that I should totally blame that on my memory, but even though it's been a while, there was something else I was going to share. And I guess I'm going to have to give in. Oh, I was on Twitter. And I'm going to go down here and see if I've shared it recently. And then I'm going to go ahead and play some music. So let's see. This was not that long ago that I shared it. Oh, yeah. I think this is maybe it. Uh, tell legislators to include the repeal hashtag walking while trans, a ban, uh, ban bill in legislation they will take up when they reconvene. It's easy to do. Text walk, W-L-A. W-A-L-K to 50409 to send an automated email. This was from uh, Brooklyn Community Pride Center. You can follow them at LGBT Brooklyn. And they also have a website at, uh, it's lgbtbrooklyn.org. So that's, there's that. And uh, there's something else I also wanted to share. 
oh yeah i don't think this was it but this is also something else that's happening um our senators this is from uh anti-fascist awk you can follow them at at awk word rap our senators are on vacation while we starve join our united left along with occupy wall street nyc proud socialist at Sima Hernandez, at Call for Congress, and others as we meet them where they sleep. Hashtag Occupy Congress this Saturday, 822, OccupyCongress.OurUnitedLeft.org. Hashtag Revolution Now. And again, if you find this tweet or go to OccupyCongress.OurUnitedLeft.org, you can find more information for this Saturday, August 22nd. Uh, Nick Estes has a good quote. Quote. What's a quote? Quote or tweet? Okay. The realism of, of this election in the, is the highest form of cynicism. We're getting Tina'd. Margaret Thatcher's There Is No Alternative by the New Republican Party, the Democrats. The last months of uprising, however, show the youth ain't having it. They're the real alternative. Emissionlocal.org. Uh, An exoneree says SFPD officer coerced, term, <laughs> coerced testimony. Now I get why folks have uh, teleprompters. Uh, coerced testimony and railroaded him into prison. The city attorney insists he's guilty of murder. So again, this is an article that is from Mission Local. And there's also folks are tweeting to Gavin Newsom to release folks from prison. California Medical Facility CMF and Solano State Prisons are dangerously close to the fire lines in Vacaville. At CA Corrections must immediately evacuate everyone held at CMF and Solano State Prisons. At Gavin Newsom must arrange for mass transportation and evacuation. Uh, TGI, uh, that, that's it. This is what I was looking for. TGI Justice Project, you can follow them at TGIJP. Our loved ones in CMF and Solano are not being evacuated. Even though the fire is closing in, join us in calling Gavin Newsom to task for to evacuate them now. And you can also email uh, sec CDR, excuse me, CDCR Secretary Ralph Diaz, ralph.diaz at cdr.ca.gov, and link for email message at bit.ly forward slash CA wildfire danger. So that's something that folks can do from home, wherever you are, if you have internet access. Okay. Now, whew, gonna take a breather. Play some music, and then I'll be back with uh, the footage from last August's 30 days uh, to close the camps. 30 days of action to close the camps. Oh, yeah, some music would be nice. Here we go.
And uh, they put in the video now. You can find it at Vimeo. And I'm going to read some of the script here. Find it at Vimeo.com. And it's Month of Momentum, 30 Days of Actions to Close the Camps. Go to Vimeo.com forward slash 4495-37133. Month of Momentum, 30 Days of Actions to Close the Camps, August 2019 at the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Office in San Francisco, California. In June 2018, uh, Trump administration enacted a zero-tolerance policy at the U.S. southern border. The policy led to the separation of thousands of children, including infants, from their families. Little to no effort was made to track the children for future reunification with families. Children were housed in filth and deprivation, often in cages or tent camps along the border. By the summer of 2019, thousands of people filled the streets protesting the Trump administration's cruel abuse of migrants with calls to close the camps. At ICE headquarters in San Francisco, daily noontime rallies throughout the month of August kept attention on this issue. The rallies brought hundreds of people together from dozens of diverse communities at a time when the federal government pursued policies of separation and divi division. brought this together but we could not have done anything without all of you so here's what we did we had 35 separate demonstrations in august to close the camps we had at least 17 days of local media coverage we kept this issue alive in in the heart of this city we made it possible for people to get involved. We had people organizing protests who had never organized a protest before. And we had people organizing who can't, like myself, can't count the number of protests that they've organized. But we brought out communities that you don't often see, like adoptees and librarians <laughs> coming together Everybody organized where they were, and because of that, because of you, it was so powerful. What a beautiful world. What a beautiful world. land of liberty. Pretend 
Seven play date, which was mothers and families. I share photos of kids with signs, parents with signs. Day 18, harm reduction and public health. This poem existed in the spaces between the sounds of gunshots and the cries of children. This poem has run for its life. This poem has been processed like a hunting deer. This poem has a right to a hearing. This poem is not illegal. This poem is a human rights crisis. This poem says there are no words for what has been done here. Only words for what we must do. historical experience, we know that what happened that led to the murders of 11 million human beings not that long ago, it was all done legally. And it was all done incrementally, step by step. So not every step on that path means that we're inevitably going to the end of that road, but it means that we might. And so at every step, we need to resist. And so you can call these concentration camps, or you can call them detention camps, but I'm asking my Jewish brothers and sisters and siblings, if somebody next to you calls it a concentration camp and you don't like that, let it be. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No one's gonna die from that word. But somebody might die if we don't all use the, the words that we need to use, the words in our heart and the words in our mind to name the truth of what's going on right now. So we have this added, added uh, practice to separate the trauma from this moment, from the historical trauma that we carry in our bodies. And we can practice that awareness together, but when you feel it rise up, you reach out to a buddy and you say, this is what I'm feeling. Is it about now or is it about then? And let's try to live as much as we can in the now 
as informed as we can be by the then, and let's go forward all holding hands together. Shabbat shalom to everybody who's marking that. God bless. separation is traumatic even when it's legal it's traumatic even when it's truly done for the right reasons because there's no other way to care for a child and it's traumatic regardless of what we call it foster care adoption detention deportation so today we're intentionally centering adoptees at this action so that our voices and stories can be heard in particular we're centering adoptees of color who must navigate the racism that's embedded in our society and often in our own families that we grow up in. This is not who we are, many say, but sadly, it is. This country was founded on white supremacy and genocide. Family separation has been the American way since it enslaved black folks and sold off their children as it continues to take native, brown, and black kids from their homes to assimilate into whiteness while keeping their parents poor and imprisoned. White supremacy runs through U.S. veins, judging who's worthy enough, who's human enough to have rights. White supremacy is the storm denying refuge to those who wash up on our shores. This is still who we are. Got it. 
Franklin Roosevelt issued executive order 9066 on February 19th of 1942, which enabled uh, the government to round up uh, the Japanese American communities from the West Coast, including Alaska, and that here's this group of people who just could not be trusted and therefore had to be incarcerated. And this has been the stigma attached to our community since World War II. Um, at that time, in 1942, almost no one stood up for us. Uh, it was clearly illegal and clearly un-American to do such a thing, but very few stood up for us except for a few brave individuals from the Northern California ACLU, Ernest Bessie and Wayne Collins. So um, the reason that um, our community is now standing up for the immigrants who are being harassed and um, incarcerated the way they have been is because we feel that we didn't have people standing up for us, so we would like to step forward. Justice is more than a word, it's the following, it's a commitment they will, we all have to make to each other. Our government is now in the kidnapping and ransom business. That's not okay with us. We have to say no to that. We must. We know where it leads. Each of us has been touched in some way by oppression and injustice. All of us know what it feels like to be judged. We are gathered outside the U.S. Customs and Immigration Building, a.k.a. Homeland Security, yeah. where thousands We're of queers, including myself, have come to plead their case. Why are we here? How did we get here? How does imperialism produce queer migration? Great Britain, Great Britain is the biggest historical exporter of anti-homosexual violence. The majority of countries violently colonized by Britain during the 18th and 19th century still criminalize homosexuality, including India. Many of the anti-queer laws in these countries were put in place by the colonial government. For example, in Pakistan, Pakistan, an anti-sodomy law instigated by the British in 1860 is still in place, punishable by 10 years in prison. Several countries are still using the exact homophobic laws imposed by Britain during the colonial era. We're trans. We're queer. It's the kidnapping of children. It's not just gun control. It's mass murders and domestic terrorism. It is not international policy. It is settler colonialism. It is not just security walls. It is separation and annexation.
walls from the U.S. and Mexico to Israel and Palestine. It is not just a ban. It bars people who look like me, who pray like me, from coming to the United States. And frankly, none of it is new. This country was founded on white supremacist ideology. We stand here advocating for civil and human rights on stolen land. And the irony of that should never escape us. I'm an indigenous grandmother. My family comes from north and south of that imaginary line that the United States calls a border. My grandmother walked up here when she was a teenager with two babies, one an infant and one barely walking. This country, the United States government, has been detaining brown people since they first got here. They were stealing indigenous children from our families. They were putting them into boarding schools where they were abused the way that these children are now being abused. If you're a mom, a dad, a grandma, an aunt, an uncle who loves your child, who loves the neighbor's kids, if you are a healthy adult, then there is no reason that you shouldn't be disobeying these unjust laws. We are done with this. It has been going on for centuries. Do you have anything in your blood that you would like to declare? skin color, and language where we can see them while we evaluate your answers. You pull the babies from our arms. There's no end to who you'll harm. And we'll call you out for shame. And put our bodies on the line. Our rage you can't confine. There'll be no fascist hatred in our
distance yourself from that story, right? To to kill the emotional human being, any kind of connection you have, to put that aside and to simply report. And I am incapable of doing that, especially now. And we cannot be unsuccessful here today. These protests have to work. We we cannot afford to fail here because the trauma that is being inflicted upon these innocent youth and families is gonna take generations to recover from. And I just hope that one day, when my babies are old, they get to look back on all of our bylines. Every journalist that is standing here, they, they, they could look back at our bylines and say, you know what, they did not remain quiet. They did not remain objective. They did not remain neutral. They stood up and spoke up. You have the ability to create a political climate in the areas that you work in. Health workers and public health workers. I know for many of us, this is difficult. Because for many of us, we are the first ones in our family to navigate these waters. Many of us come from families who were told to be silent because our bodies is the only thing that is used to provide in this economy. But that can no longer be the case. That can no longer be the case. children today um, I have to say that this issue has been the one that has been the most demoralizing for me and has had me the most I don't want to look at it I don't want to read it I don't want to open the post I don't want to read the articles and I tell you all that I have been sick to my stomach and I and, and on top of the all of the images and all of the stories and how angry it all has been I think the thing that had me the most in turmoil was my own sense of, I don't know what to do and I'm not doing anything and my life is going on business as usual. And it's been in large part, the, knowing that this, or this event daily, people were coming out every day to show um, their solidarity with this movement and to show that they understand how all of these things are connected. The incarceration, the fact that we're on stolen land, the white supremacy, the imperialism, the greed, the capitalism. It was knowing that people had been coming out every day that kind of re-energized me as an organizer, as an activist, and, and made me feel like I, I have to. It's through these actions, it's through showing up and being together, all of us together, that, that we can move forward. So I want to, I know we talk a lot about what we don't want, and I want to also bring up what we do want, which is a world without militarization and criminalization, and without borders. And people showing up for each other like this, and talking about alternatives, so instead of talking, or calling the police, talking to your neighbors and getting to know one another, and creating the world that we want to live in, until, it's here, oh, I was hoping to end on a, oh.
Rally number two, Loco Loco, youth group, youth action.
day one, press conference and drummers. Day two, women in black. Day five, climate and environmental justice. No coal in Oakland. 1,000 grandmothers for future generations. Day six, bend the arc Jewish action. Day seven, play date, mothers and families. little bit too fast there. Let's go back here. Okay. Day 11, students and educators. Day 12, librarians. Day 13, service industry workers. Day 14, never again action, and if not now. Day 15, number one, witches. Day 15, number two, youth action. Day 16, medical cannabis action community. Day 17, poets. Day 18, harm reduction and public health. Day 19, Queer Action. Day 20, Comedians, Improvisers, Actors. Day 21, Lawyers and Legal Workers. Day 22, San Mateo County Activists. Day 23, Surge, Jewish Voice for Peace. Day 24, Acapella and Idle No More. Day 25, Health Workers and Public Health Workers. Day 26, Kahila Community Synagogue. Day 27, Adoptees. Day 28, Fat and Disability Community. Day 29, A Day Without Immigrants. Day 30, Journalists. Day 31, Culmination Event all groups. Photos, video, and editing by Peg Hunter. This project is dedicated to all the people who find ways to come together, who stand up against racism, cruelty, and abuse, who work to create a better world. Again, you can find this on Vimeo, vimeo.com slash 449. I would love for you to close your eyes and imagine these women, these men, carrying their children, just like you are doing right now, carrying this beautiful child. Well, somebody, you who are listening up there, and you too, somebody at the other side of the planet, in Honduras, in Guatemala, in El Salvador, in Mexico, is also grabbing their things, sometimes just a little bag, and a child on 